Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, HST, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder. And today, we have Sandra Kostick and Casey Mitchell on with us. We're going to be talking about Connect HD, um, which is a study, a, a trial going on right now um, for the HD community. Uh, it involves Korea. So we're going to be uh, delving into that. I know there's still, um, you guys are still actively recruiting, so we'll go kind of into how people can get involved as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having Happy us. To be here. I hear that you guys are, are dealing with a winter storm. We are. Two-thirds of our clinic patients have already canceled, and we're wondering for the afternoon clinic, and we're wondering whether we should tell everybody to stay home. Uh, as our clinic a director actually sent out an email a little bit telling us for the staff, those of us who find at the end of the day we can't get home, they have beds for us in the hospital. Not where I would like to spend my night. It's not as comfortable. Well, let's. Um, I'm going to have Sandra start first. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am the medical director of the Huntington's Disease Society of America Center of Excellence at The Ohio State University. Um, I have been doing this since 2000, so more than 20 years. And um, I'm very dedicated to the cause of uh, finding ways to treat and improve care of HD, working on the studies for um, curing HD, and just even some practical kinds of things. So through the years, I've been involved in multiple clinical trials, industry trials, um, HSG trials, and also some site-initiated trials. Our site's particularly been focused on a lot of things related to um, aspects of motor control for Korea, for Huntington's disease besides Korea. For instance, exercise programs, what's the best walker to use if you have um, HD. Um, and we've been participating in this particular clinical trial um, since the beginning with Connect One, and now we're in Connect Two. I trained at the um, my medical school and PhD are from the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois, and then I did my residency in neurology at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, and then I did a physician scientist award um, uh, at. In, in the Harvard Medical Science uh, System program. And in 2000, we moved here with our family and uh, it's been a great experience. Thanks so much. I might have to pick your brain later about that, what kind of walker is best for HD patients because um, that's a very interesting thing that I think people would like to know. It, um, it's something that's not basic science and rocket science. We also do some participate in gene therapy trials. 
Um, but many, several years ago, we had um, a patient who we just re recommended a typical four-wheeled walker with swivel front wheels, hand brakes, and a seat. And an insurance company denied the coverage for it um, because there was no proof that that was and it's not that it's that much expensive than a walker with no wheels, right? Right. And that got my physical therapy team and myself just mad. And we were doing a different study using something called a gate right, looking at gate steps. And so we just decided, well, let's see if it's true what we think clinically that there are, um, you know, good walkers and bad walkers. And can I tell a story? It takes a little time and it's no, not go related. Ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. You do have to keep me under control because I can talk for a long time about anything related to HD. So um, we even designed something which we thought we were going to end up marketing as the OSU chained specialty for um, HD. So one of my colleagues, Dr. Egelmeyer and Dr. Kluse, who are physical therapists with advanced degrees, and we do research together. We took a regular cane, a four-pronged cane, our new super-duper cane that Huntington stations we designed shouldn't drop. They hate when I tell this part of the story. Um, a walker with no wheels, two-wheeled walker, four-wheeled walker, and three, uh, a three-wheeled walker, and had people walk on this 15-meter strap um, electrical carpet and also had them walk in a figure of eight around chairs. And what that showed was the most stable and best thing for our Huntington's patients was the four-wheeled walker. The three-wheeled was faster. Some of my patients use those in their homes where they can't accommodate a four-wheeled walker. But overall, for stability, mobility, and improving something called um, double support time, stride length, and, and stride variability, the four-wheeled walker turned out to be best. Um, so we published this in a paper, which is open access in class one, um, but we did not include our super duper theoretically perfect for HD patient um, cane that we designed. And the reason canes are not really great for HD patients is because there's a motor phenomenon called motor impersistence, where people tend to drop things. So if you're using a cane to walk and then you drop it and then you bend over to pick it up, that actually could increase your risk of falling. And also the chorea can make you swing them around and it can be dangerous. So our cane was designed so people would have a stimulus in the hand so people would hold on to it and not drop it. And that part of this, our experimental simple design worked really well, but the patients not only did not drop it, they held it up in the air and <laughs> use it while they were walking. So we canned that. But um, we, it, this is a kind. There, there are all sorts of aspects of improving quality of um, HD you know, life for patients and caregivers. And this is one of the things we also focus on in our particular group. Awesome. Um, Deb and Ann don't like the fact that I talk about how our team design is a total failure. <laughs> but the other, we will like it. Of, the other aspects of the study are important. So I've cut into uh, Casey's uh, introduction of herself time, but she's a little bit, she's used to me already. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Casey, let's have you um, introduce yourself and uh, let us know who you are. Yeah. 
So I am Casey Mitchell. Um, I'm currently a clinical research coordinator at Ohio State University working with Dr. Kostick in the movement disorders. Um, I have been an HSG credential coordinator um, for almost a year now. Um, I just, this has been my first year as a coordinator. So I got brought on kind of during the pandemic. I joined as a clinical research assistant um, with Dr. Kostick's team in September of 2019. Before that, I work primarily in mental health. So my background is in psychology, which has been very helpful. I'm transitioning into the workspace with the HD community. And I think that psych affects us all and especially the HD community. I think that they kind of need that support as well. So it's been really great working with Dr. Kostick and it's been very easy getting into the research with OSU because we already have such a well-established team who's very familiar, not just with HSG, but just familiar with different aspects of Huntington's research, which has been very beneficial for my learning skills and career development. Well, we are certainly glad to have you. We always need um, really good coordinators at sites that are, um, I, I love that you have a psychology background because I think that's something that um, isn't dealt with as much in HD and something that we should be dealing with with more. This is a whole topic I could talk about, but yeah. I'm really glad to have you. Um, <laughs> and a thank you both for, for coming on. Um, so let's talk about Connect HD. What, what is Connect HD? Well, um, um, Casey, I'll start. And then yeah. every time I say something wrong, will you correct me? <laughs> I'll correct. I have full faith in you. <laughs> Now, Casey's in the trenches. She tells me what to do, which is the way these relationships are, and keeps me in line. These relationships are supposed to work. Um, but from a, a biology and a rationale point of view, um, we right now, Korea is a, a big part of HD. It's not the only part, but it is, um, an, it can be an issue and can be a significant issue and bothersome. This doesn't bother everybody. Um, but there are currently two FDA-approved drugs to treat um, chorea, um, tetrabenazine and dutetrabenazine. Um, this is a drug in a similar class, a VMAT2 inhibitor, um, that can modulate um, small molecules in the brain that can affect um, movement. Um, one of the advantages, there are differences between the three of them and the th each may have a different um, advantage. But um, the, um, the medicine here uh, being used is called valbenazine. And it um, is a once a day medicine. Uh, tetrabenazine is a three time a day medicine. And uh, um, dutetrabenazine is a twice a day medicine. All the medicines need to be titrated up over a period of time so people can get used to them. But in anybody who takes medicines know that it's easier to take a medicine once a day than twice a day or three times a day. So that in itself is an advantage for this medicine. Um, and although this medicine has not been um, used in Huntington's patients before, it actually has a good safety track record in another class of, um, of, of neurological patients. And these are patients with a movement disorder called tardive dyskinesia, which is often a side effect or can be a side effect of um, some of the medicines used to treat psychological diseases. And it's been used, I think it's been approved for that since 
2017 or 2019, I, I'm not sure. So it's been used in those individuals for a several years. And so we're very comfortable with uh, the safety profile of this, knowing that it's been used in people with other neurological diseases for a while. And that's important when you're considering what medicines and starting medicines, especially in a population like Huntington's disease, which may have different sensitivities um, to different medicines. And, and we always want to be careful about safety profiles. So this medicine has a good safety profile. It's been used before in neurological patients. And um, it's recently completed um, the first phase of the trial. So when we do clinical trials to bring new medicines to um, our population, there are a lot of different steps we have to go through. And uh, I'm not going to explain the clinical trial process or the FDA rules in great detail. Um, but first, you know, there's animal models and there's in normal people. And then there's something called the phase one trial just to make sure it's safe and find good doses. And then the phase two trial. To, and then there's, you have to compare, prove that it works and that it's not a placebo. So, to, so that the placebo effect or the thought of getting a pill sometimes can have a, a big effect and it can affect dopamine levels in the brain. So the first phase of CONNECT was a, a placebo controlled trial where people were either on 50-50% on placebo or on study drugs. That phase of the trial, which is just called CONNECT HD, has been completed. Okay. At the end of the trial, and that was only 12-week long trial, at the end of that trial, there was a crossover so that people who were on um, the valbenzene could continue to stay on it, and the people who were on placebo could um, actually start on the study drug. So that has continued, and it's something called an open-label study now. So people know whether you're on study drug. Everybody's on study drug in the, in the CONNECT2 study. Uh, and one of the reasons for continuing that is that the drug is not yet FDA approved for Huntington's disease. So we as a community have to convince the FDA two things. A, we've pretty much convinced them that this is effective, although it's not formalized. The announcement made um, was that um, the, in the placebo-controlled trial, there was a statistically significant improvement in Korea scores in those with who were on the study drug compared to the people who were on the placebo pill. But we have to continue to show that over time in the Huntington's population that it's safe and effective. So the company, uh, Neurocrine, has continued the study and the expect expectation is that we will continue to follow people on the study drug for a total of about, I think it's two years from the start. Um, so we are uh, have over 100 subjects enrolled at this point. We'd like to include five to 10 more subjects in sort of a different add-on aspect of uh, this trial. So we are still recruiting, but not for the placebo-controlled study. We are recruiting, looking for individuals who have Korea that they would like to be treated. 
um, and but are willing to help us get this drug through the FDA to prove that it works by coming in for periodic study visits. Um, people would be titrated from, uh, there's a titration period as in most studies, you start with a low dose and then after, I can't remember cases, the two weeks, the dose is increased um, up to 80 milligrams a day. So it starts with 20, 40, 60, 80. And then people will be continued to be followed approximately every six weeks. Um, and then after a little a further period of time, I think after a, a, a few, several months, some of those visits will be telephone visits um, where we just check up on how people are doing until the anticipated end point of the trial, um, hoping that it won't take more than two years <laughs> to get it's the drug approval process is sometimes a little bit more onerous than we would like, but individuals participating would have access to this drug for free until it, as it was getting um, FDA approved. That's awesome. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to speak on that one of the biggest benefits of being a part of the um, Connect2 HD or Connect HD2 um, is that you do receive the drug and you know what you're receiving. So patients who are looking for treatment for chorea and either they're not having um, tolerability with dutrobenazine or tetrabenazine, and they'll have that option with the valbenazine, which I think has been really beneficial for some of our patients. And the fact that it is a once-a-day medication, which I think is just the most easiest form of um, taking your medicine because you don't have to worry about scheduling or filling out multiple um, caps for one day. So, is the, is the medication able to be um, crushed up or um, put in something if somebody has swallowing difficulties or, or anything like that? So for swallowing difficulties, that's actually one of the criteria that we look at. Um, so that could meet an exclusionary um, portion for the study. You do have to have a certain abil ability um, to be able to swallow pills. Um, we haven't had patients who've needed to crush things up, but I believe that it's possible to with how the um, medication is put together, like the molecule. So I think it is okay um, to cut it in half and put it in an applesauce. But we know that one of the side effects um, is making that swallowing more difficult for patients. So if a patient is already having issues with that, then we wouldn't want to enhance that um, issue for them any further. Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I'm more curious for after, if it were to be approved, that's gonna be the next question, you know, especially as progression goes, okay, well, can, you know, is there a way to, to crush it up or to, is it a, can we do a capsule where we put it in something so um, our loved one can take it? So we would have to address that with uh, neurocrine and the pharmacologist. I, I, I confess as a study site, um, PI and the coordinator, that's not a question that we asked because it's not something that's been allowed in the study. And I think the concerns about swallowing, and swallowing is another big issue um, in Huntington's disease, which I also think is not well enough studied. Um, and there's something we you know, continuously think oh, we need to, to look at this better. And there have been some studies um, in swallowing issues. Um, but I think the side effect profile of, of tetrabenazine, that was one of the more common 
um, complaints, and we did have not seen that. And that's partly because of, I think the way that molecule um, is metabolized, so it has some higher highs and lower lows um, that it may have caused more trouble with swallowing. We did not see that much, um, at least from a clinical point of view. And I don't have the uh, you know I don't have access to the statistics of the. Um, um, the do tetrabenazine trial, but we our site was a site for the tetrabenazine trial, the do tetrabenazine trial, and this one. So I've seen all three to some degree, and have not had that long of experience. I've not had as many complaints um, with the do tetrabenazine, and I don't think that that's been a big issue. But we still are analyzing data. Uh, I say we as because I'm a team member, but it's not exactly my role uh, to analyze the data. But um, the study, the Huntington study group and the company sponsoring the trial, it looks at all these things very carefully. And it, we do have a swallowing scale that we assess over the course of the trial just to make sure that people aren't developing serious problems with ability to swallow. Um, so what would... You know, you said you would be, I guess, going in every six weeks for an in-person visit. And kind of what would that look like? Is that like an all-day thing? Is it a few hours? What What does that look like? I can um, answer this question for you, Lauren. Um, so for the Connect HD2 trials, we actually start seeing patients um, every two weeks um, so that we can titrate their medication. So they'll start off, they'll come in in a screening visit that will last roughly three hours. That is so that we can make sure that they meet all the criteria and that it would be safe for them to be a participant in the study. And if they are approved by our eligibility team and our on-site um, medical director, medical um, guidance for the study, they will approve them or disapprove them. And if they're approved, they'll come in for a baseline visit. Well, we'll obtain some cognitive assessments. We'll obtain um, lab collections. We do vital signs. We do collections of um, ECGs just to make sure that their heart rhythms are normal and there's nothing abnormal in a cardio standpoint. Um, and then we, from there, um, they would receive drugs during their baseline day. So we would send them home with drugs and then we would give them instructions to start, and then they would come back every two weeks. And then at the eighth or the eighth week um, or eighth visit, which is week 14, um, we would start seeing them every six weeks. And then at week 32, so about half a year into the trial, is when we would start seeing them. Um, I believe it's alternating. So every six weeks, one would be a phone call, and then one would be in person. Gotcha. Um, well, that's good. Limited to three hours. Um, yeah, actually, a, a good time frame. Yeah, the screening visits always take the longest, and I would say the baseline visits take roughly around the same time frame. But then all the follow-up visits take roughly two hours. Sometimes we're done in an hour, an hour and a half. It kind of just depends on how our equipment working that day. Sometimes we have some hiccups with our with our machines and we just have to recalibrate, but um, usually we're able to get patients in and out within two hours for their follow-up visits, which is great. But each follow-up visit does look a little bit differently, so that's what kind of determines the length of their study visit. Um, sometimes we have some um, blood draws, sometimes we don't. 
Um, and then on most of the time, we do have the same type of patient questionnaires, but there are times where we hand patients on um, this, the nice Huntington's booklet where they have to go through each symptom and talk about the severity that they experience day to day, which takes a while for patients to fill out. But I think that that's one of the biggest burdens for the patients is just to sit through all of the questionnaires. So we provide as many breaks as we can. So some patients just want to power through, so we get them in and out. But some patients want to take their time. They want to have some snacks. They want to have water. And just we want to make sure that they're comfortable and that they're enjoying their experience because their data is everything for us and for the community. So we want our patients to feel supported. Um, and if they have certain needs, we definitely try to meet those the best way we can. So. Um... For those that aren't close to a site and it would be further for them to travel, is there anything to kind of help with that, um, you know, with the expenses of traveling? Yeah, so um, each patient for each visit, regardless of where they live, they do receive a stipend um, or some type of payment. Um, and for those who are traveling long distance, we work with our sponsors to give them travel reimbursement support. So that's really um, case to case, but sponsors, they want people in their trials. So they're willing to pay for gas. They're willing to house them for hotels. So I don't want patients to, if they're listening to this and they're out of state, think, oh, that would be too much of a burden or that would be too much financially for us. Um, like we're here to support that. We want to be able to have all the data so we can present this to the FDA and get this drug approved for clinical use. Um, and we also would love to help treat patients who are in need of medication for Korea, but they just don't have the sensibility or they can't afford it because I know prices for the dutetrabenzene and tetrabenzene are going up. Um, so it is a nice option to be in research, especially with this open label extension, because you know you're getting drugs. So you don't have that risk of 50% chance of receiving placebo. You know you're getting treated. So we definitely are here to support people any way we can, whether that's financially, emotionally, we just want people to be in our trials, but also enjoy their time participating. Well, and, and I can actually speak to that because um, one of the things that I do whenever I participate in any type of study, um, or if we had dad participate in, in anything, um, you know, we tried to turn it into like a little mini vacation where uh, we would maybe stay an extra day and go and see the sites wherever we were. Um, and that way, you kind of do have a little bit, it's not just, it's not just going for the study. It's literally taking some downtime. You get to be somewhere different, something that, you know, HP patients don't get to do that often. And so, especially if they have Korea, right? Like it does limit things. So um, being able to actually go somewhere and, and spend the night in a hotel and and do something fun. Um, so that's what I've kind of done anytime I've participated in studies, um, really tried to make it more than just the study. Um, yeah. So I do want to encourage people to do that. And a lot of our patients um, travel from out of state and it is a good bonding experience with their caregivers. Sometimes their caregivers are their parents, sometimes they're their children and it's just a good bonding experience even if it's just their spouse. Um, they'll always have like their designated days. Like whenever people come in from out of state, I'm like, what's your plan for the rest of the day? Are you guys going to go shopping at our local centers? Are you going to go get dinner somewhere? And everybody always has something planned because it's just that one-on-one -on -one time with your loved ones. So it's kind of irreplaceable. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, well, I'm really excited about this just because, you know, it's, it's something for our community that, you know, the ones who already have Korea and um, something that seems just easier to deal with. <laughs> so um, very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that they will be receiving the drug. And, you know, I, a lot of people don't understand you have to do placebo controls to be able to prove that something it works. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, now people what, go, well, why can't they give it what to we're you? Proving how it's safe, long-term safety. So we already yeah. know it works. Right. Um, and what we want to do is, be, so from a, a research trial point of view, this is sort of a contribution to our overall HD efforts, but it's not really a heavy burdensome clinical trial. We're not doing lumbar punctures or MIs, MRIs or PET scans or brain surgery. Um, I mean, the most invasive thing we do is we do do some blood tests to check and make sure that liver function, kidney function, immune function is not being affected by the uh, medicine and that people are stable. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's an easier trial uh, to participate in than a lot of other things we do. Oh, for sure, um, which, is, which is awesome. So, I just went through I, I, all I, of that lumbar puncture and everything too, so... <laughs> The, uh, you know, I often tell people, sometimes some of our patients, it's very difficult to find their veins to get a good blood draw. We have one, actually, one of our, uh, our Connect2 studies is just, it's not her fault that she, she, her veins, are, you know, they collapse, they roll, there's all sorts of different things. Um, I confess that in a number of our patients, I find doing the lumbar puncture as a physician easier than drawing blood. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Um, patients don't look at it that way. It has a different, you know, reputation. Uh, no, the lumbar puncture wasn't that bad. No, it's just, you know, it's, it's a reasonable procedure. And it's important for us to look at things for other trials. I do want to point out that um, since this radio broadcast goes outside of Ohio, that there are, A, there are, I think there's another Connect, Connect site in Ohio, um, but there are also the Connect um, study sites throughout the United States. And people can go to the Huntington Study Group website and find all the locations and find the location that is nearest to them. And so that's easily accessible. And I will, I will share that on the show page so people can easily access it as well. Um, <clears throat> well, ladies, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Um, do you have any other... Ooh. There's a cat. Um, that was awesome. That's what happens when we work from home during snowstorms. Our cats and dogs sometimes want some of the attention limelight. Oh, I love it. I just saw it and I was like, oh, I want to pet it. Um, sorry, I lost my off for you too. But thank you for coming on and, and talking with us about um, Connect HD2. And um, do you have any other thoughts before? before we sign off today? No, I just think that what's really important is we communicate between the scientists, the clinicians, the patients. This is a getting, you know, treat working with HD is a community effort. It's a scientific effort um, and we all need to work together. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Keep going. It's a good well, time. It is. Um, for those who are listening, I wanna encourage you to listen to our shows um, this month. It is a month of love. It is February. 
Um, so we are going to have next week, we're going to have HD love stories where we're going to be sharing um, the love stories in the HD community in honor of Valentine's Day. So please um, send those to me to my email at lauren at help4hd.org. It's the number four. Um, and also, if you want to do a shout out, I'm happy to do that shout out on the show to your loved ones. So please make sure to share that. Um, Seth and BJ and I will be talking about actively participating um, in things and um, just going over some stuff that we've been doing um, in regards to Accelerate HD and really getting pre-symptomatic people on board with research um, and helping to accelerate the Huntington research and bridging that gap between H, um, HD community and research. So um, please make sure to join, join us for that. And then our last show is going to be about three squeezes and it's gonna be a really lovely show about communication, nonverbal communication um, with your loved ones. So you guys make sure to tune in for that. Also remember that February 28th is um, rare disease day. So, um, you know, make sure that you're, uh, I'm gonna be posting stuff about that because um, I really think that we should be involved with Rare Disease Day and um, taking advantage of that awareness. So you should be seeing that on our, um, on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of that stuff. So um, please make sure to, to look for that as well. And I hope that everybody takes care and have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.